welcome to But Why Though the podcast, a periodic discussion with guests from around the But Why Though writing community brought together under one roof to discuss the latest happenings in pop culture. My name is Kate, and you're tuned into episode 18. This week we're here with Suara Saleh, freelance writer and podcast host of The Middle Geeks, and Alex Paterno, assignment editor at FrightDay.com and a huge friend of every pod we've ever made on this network. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, so say hi, folks. Hello. Yeah, hey, how's it going? Alex, it is a delight to meet you for the first time. <laughs> I've heard your voice so many times on the podcast. I, that's how I feel. Is I'm like I'm I'm very familiar with with your voice, like your your areas of expertise and all that stuff. But yeah, talking to you directly is a new experience. Alex was saying before the podcast uh, recording started was that it's like that sitcom episode where the two characters that never got together finally finally have a side episode for themselves, and the audience cheers. <laughs> yeah, everybody's gonna love Alex and Suara. It's gonna be great. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So this week here, we're going to be talking about the news that caught our eye, which will include Pokemon Day announcements and Yamadotoro's new animated film, because you know I couldn't host an episode without bringing up my maestro. Um, and our main topic of the week is going to be a doozy. Fans versus critics. The good, the bad, and the Twitter of it all. Uh, so let's dive into the latest news this week. First up, Pokemon Day announcements. We got three biggins. Uh, the Hidden Treasure Area Zero DLC is coming to Scarlet mm -hmm. and Violet. Wish that they would patch out the mountains moving like quicksand, but like we're here, so let's just vibe. Um, <laughs> any thoughts you, on that DLC? I mean, here's the thing. So I admittedly, I still haven't started the this latest game. Um, I picked it up, have not had a chance Nor to start I. it. My thing, though, is releasing DLC when the game is from what I understand, still in a pretty poor condition, feels bad. Yep. Yeah, I just, like, I'm a huge Pokemon fan. I've been a huge Pokemon fan since I was five years old, and I got, like, not to be one of those fans, but literally, I got my first Game Boy mm -hmm. Blue and Pokemon Blue. I just, Pokemon is in my very soul. When I found, I, I didn't get Scarlet or Violet because I saw the reviews about what is this, like, patched together monstrosity it's just not a functional game and i refuse to pay 70 dollars listen i love nintendo i play a bunch of nintendo games i play still play pokemon um arceus and uh, uh sword and shield great games but i'm not going to spend this amount of money to pay an unfinished pay for an unfinished game and like I would love to. I'd love to like get some of these new Pokemon and for versions of Pokemon. I do think the uh, dragon version of Suicune, I forget what it's called. Mm -hmm. It does look really cool, but like, sorry, I'm still not going to buy the game unless there's a patch update. Just give me a yeah. game. Get stability. Really? I remember when all of the, when Twitter was kind of losing its mind over how broken it was, uh, I still hadn't picked it up. And my wife was like, do we wait for a patch or do we buy it now to be a part of the moment of this insane <laughs> game? No, do not follow everyone off a cliff. Right. Yeah. We ended up just being like, we'll just I wait. Say, everybody says as me and Matt have like a hundred hours <laughs> complaining the entire time about it. But That's still like, every, everything that I've heard about that game is like, it has good bones, but like everything on those bones is trash. 
so why will you pay seventy dollars to pay? Well, so and here's yeah. and here's the thing. Like this is a sad thing about Pokemon Day, for yeah. specifically for this, because half of me was like, I want new DLC. I want to play more. Mm -hmm. Like hearing that Ed Sheeran song at the end when I rolled the credits was great. <laughs> like I, I I want that. And then in the back of my head, I was like, but like I still get stuck like on flagpoles. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so it was hard. Like, it kind of took some of the wind out of it. And to your point, Suara, of, like, paying full price. Because, like, Nintendo games don't go on sale. There isn't no. going to be right. some magical Pokemon sale where you can get this for, like, the $30 that it's worth. Yeah. In, like, kind mm -hmm. of, like, the state that it's in. Mm -hmm. So, like, you are really having to, like, make choices. Um, I think the smart move on their half is they have a free game that also is getting something new. Uh, Pokemon Unite is their MOBA, which I stopped playing but was extremely fun to play. Um, and that is getting Legendary Pokemon Zacion. Is that Oh, Zacian? yeah, Some, something Zacian, like that. Yeah. Zacion, yeah. <laughs> they need to come out with official... But actually, no. Let's just have just the put various spelling. Yeah, yeah. It, well, also, it is kind of kind of fun to hear the different like fair. interpretations. I actually was watching the Pokemon anime. They just came out with the uh, anime film on Netflix. They say Arceus and not Arceus, oh. and like it was just oh my mind is so blown right now. But I'm still gonna call him Arceus because like yeah. you know what. It's it's accepted. I, I I I we have named the Pokemon that we have caught. Therefore, exactly. that is what they are. <laughs> that too, yeah. Where it's just like that's trash ball. That's pig. Like that's you know yep. people don't. <laughs> I think the thing for me is exactly. we are we are in the age of voice acting in games. So if you're gonna give Pokemon with like weird pronunciations, and then if the anime is gonna say Pokemon say their names, you have an opportunity to just put the pronunciation in the game, and you're not. Because that's also eight hundred sound bites of voice acting. But there's yeah. no voice. But there's no voice acting in Pokemon. Oh no, sorry. I meant Ex voice except, acting in general. I know Pokemon. Oh, okay. Mess with <laughs> except except for there Pikachu. Yeah. Except for Pikachu and Eevee. I think those are the only two. Um, I will say though, the cool thing about this is while the games are what they are, um. We are thriving in Pokemon content outside of that. Mm -hmm. And what I was really excited about was Netflix animation announced a partnership with Dwarf Studios. They uh, they're a French they're they're a French based studio. They helped do a lot of the animation on my dad the bounty hunter. And they are going to be developing and producing a live uh, stop motion animated Pokemon miniseries called Pokemon Concierge, which is the most adorable thing in existence because you are just following a, a young woman and her Pokemon as they, like, do daily hotel stuff and are concierges to, like, people that live at the hotel. Like, it's slice-of-life Pokemon, and it's I don't want battles. I want this. It's I, I think that this is... Psyduck is very cute. It's a concept that Pokemon has been sorely missing, like they they've always focused on this very one specific and arguably the most appealing aspect of the Pokemon world. Like I don't know that you're gonna get like the bear, but with Pokemon, actually, no, I would watch that. I, I would watch the bear with Pokemon. <laughs> right? Yeah, where it's just like you have a Machamp in the kitchen with four frying pans, just like flipping eggs at a diner. Like one hundred percent, I'll watch that. But th this is what Pokemon has been missing, I think, conceptually, is like just giving us these little side stories where it's like, yeah, we're just gonna talk about like what this world is and build it out beyond we make them fight and also it's like our national sport yeah it's like the pokemon anime which 
has been going on 20 plus years or mm-hmm. 23 years and no wait it started in 1997 26 years ash ketchum has been on this journey that is actually about to finally come to an end uh you know they do show that of like you know pokemon in like uh different professions and doing different things but like the main focus has always been on the battles and even in those slice of life slice of life episodes you'll have a pokemon battle or team rocket or something like come on in so like to have a series just focused on that slice of life and those daily tasks will be very appealing because people love pokemon you know for their cuteness for have their their aesthetic for how appealing they look in buy general. that yeah. Fue Coco plushie behind me because <laughs> yes. he's a good fighter i bought him because <laughs> there's nothing going on behind those eyes and i love him Aww, <laughs> very cute plushie but yeah no, like pokemon right. yeah pokemon oh. are uh yeah they have many um functions i think so also very... just the idea that pokemon have jobs is like just <laughs> It's very nice. It's oh, yeah. Very it's cute. Yeah. It's, I also it... want to know if they have, like, little labor unions that, like, negotiate <laughs> oh, with absolutely. humans. <laughs> you know, You know that somebody's using flamethrower when somebody tries to bring in scab Pokemon? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, that Pokemon picket lines are ferocious. <laughs> um, and this is a perfect segue into the next piece of news, which is that uh, Guillermo del Toro is going to be doing another stop motion animated film for Netflix. That's the technically the third time he's working with Netflix. No, no, he's worked with them before, but like, because he did the Arcadia series, Cabinet of Curiosities, Pinocchio. Um, but this is going to be his second film with them and not the television side. He's going to be adapting The Buried Giant, which is based on the fantasy novel by Nobel Prize winning British writer Kazo Ishiguro. Uh, the story follows an elderly Britain couple, Axel and Beatrice, living in a fictional, fictional post-Arthurian England in which no one is able to retain long-term memories. On the partnership, Guillermo del Toro said, The Berry Giant continues my animation partnership with Netflix and our pursuit of stop motion as a medium to tell complex stories and build a limitless world. It is a great honor and greater responsibility for me to direct this screenplay, which Dennis Kelly and I are adapting from Kazu Ishiguro's profound and imaginative novel. Thoughts? I am so excited. I love Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio so much. It is a masterpiece. I want to see all... I mean, I've always loved Guillermo del Toro in general, but the sheer amount of... You know, when he was coming forth with, like, Pinocchio in his press tour from the start to now like when he accepted the BAFTA he has always said animation is a medium is not a genre Mm -hmm. we need to respect animation for its incredible storytelling potential and he's been increasingly vocal about this especially when large companies and studios um like WBD um Disney even to some degree Netflix even and others have like rolled back on animation and saying it's a part of a cost cutting measure. There's still like animated, still really great animated products coming out of all these companies, but they don't view it as much of a priority and animators. We've seen them speak so much online about this, uh, how they've gotten, um, you know, sort of short, shortened contracts or, and there's like this huge, uh, hashtag called hashtag new deal for animation. It's, widespread and Guillermo del Toro he has such deep respect and love for the medium for the people who work in it and he 
wants it to be a robust, thriving industry. So, and I feel as though like he really is using, cause he knows that he is one of the big names like in Hollywood. He has been mm-hmm. for decades and he's putting his name, his personality, his persona uh, forward and centered in these conversations in a really great way. He's being a champion and bravo to him. Pinocchio was a masterpiece. The concept for the buried giant sounds incredible. It sounds exactly. And it sounds a, adult. It yeah. sounds mature. It, it sounds, sounds up his like alley. a mature yeah. story. Exactly. It's exactly up his alley of like dealing with long-term memories. This is exactly Guillermo del Toro. So I'm very excited to watch it. Yeah, I, I I don't even know that I can really add anything to that. I think he's someone who I've always appreciated, not just his his work or his his vibe, but like just the mentality with which he approaches what he's even doing. Of like, I respect what I'm doing. The whole, I mean, like we talked about, like the animation is an art form; it's a medium. Like he's going to use the pen he wants to use for whatever drawing he's doing, and um is kind of like annoyed that people are like, well, that's not a good pen. And he's like, shut up. It's a good pen. Like, I'm gonna, <laughs> exactly. Like I'm going to use it. Um, and like, I just, I really respect that that's his approach to it. And that he recognizes that also animation can do things um, differently and that it can, it can do things with different levels of uh, convincingness, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I think back to all of the, you know, Disney saying, oh, well, we're going to do a live action adaptation. And then it's just like a CG fest and, and it looks fine, mm-hmm. but it's not great. And I'm like, you know, it was really cool when you guys just animated this. Yeah. Like that's, you know, cool. there, there's a time and a place for animation and it can be really excellent and it doesn't have to be for kids. And having someone who has such a deep respect for it, say like, I'm going to lean into this is really exciting to me. And I think it's like episode 15 or 16, scroll a little bit back. We talked about the way that, studios directors everybody has really pushed live action as the pinnacle of emotion it's the Mm -hmm. pinnacle of storytelling and it really isn't mediums are fit for whatever stories that they're telling and i think suara you said it really beautifully alex you also said really great stuff and i think my addition to that is like there are great directors out there who don't impact anything they just make their art Mm -hmm. And what I have always loved about Guillermo del Toro is that he champions art. And he champions it when he backs them as a producer on smaller films, on genre films. He refuses to be pushed into dramatic stances where he has to compromise his love Mm -hmm. of the macabre and the monsters. And I think that if there is somebody to really champion animation i'm happy that it's this man because i think it naturally comes from his love of genre film and it Mm -hmm. naturally comes from his ability to tell stories in a different way because that's all animation is so i'm i'm looking forward to what he does i'm looking forward to him throwing his like the weight of his name around and being like no 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 you're going to green light this one or, Oh, I'll come onto the project, but you have to green light this animated series. And Mm -hmm. I think it's going to open the doors for us to get more adult animation, which is something that I am, I I, I want and I need more of because the way, the way the West in general as a concept, all that like America and European nations view animation is as for children. And that I think to be completely honest has allowed Disney to rest on its laurels. When you look at 100%. all of the recent Pixar animations, they're all like round. They all are yeah. little circles on top of little circles and they all look the same. And while there may be some good storytelling there, like it's for me, 
it's lost its magic, but I think it's because they don't have to be invented. They don't have to push boundaries. And the ones mm-hmm. that do push boundaries get buried on Disney Plus. So I Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for what this means as much as I'm excited for the work itself. Yeah. I think like you know, not to like we had a discussion I remember us having a discussion about this once in the Discord. Like we don't have to compare everything to Disney, but it's sort still ironic that in the same year the Guillermo's Pinocchio came out the same year as the Disney live action Pinocchio, mm-hmm. which was shit. Um, and it's like, yeah, like just like you said, Kate, it's Disney resting on their laurels, not thinking they really need to be that inventive with their own medium. There's been like valid complaints that a lot of the, the character design or like some of that has looked really similar across like certain films, like in the 2010s and early 2020s. It's like, what Disney and I still like enjoy Disney a lot of Disney animated films you know here and there but what it's they've done is essentially flatline it of yeah. it not of it fitting into like a specific mold when Guillermo del Toro he's very inventive he knows the potential of the medium he wants to create these innovative amazingly immersive stories and I could also I don't know I I, I think like I don't have this thought fully formed, but I feel like when a large corporation like Disney does this flatlining, it's part of their monopolistic practice. It's like oh, yeah. they get they get the audience to anticipate and want a specific kind of animation. They want to, I think this might actually feed in our critics versus uh, fan discussion. They want to have general audiences expect a certain mold mm-hmm. and have people demand that exact mold and anything that deviates from it would be considered not good. I mean, I yeah. think it does go back and forth. I'm not tr- I'm trying not to sound like conspiracy theorists or something. No, but like, I mean, but it, it's yeah. what happens. Like it, yeah. at the end of the day, these are capitalist com- companies who are marketing their product. Mm-hmm. They may do great stuff. Like I'm, I'm tired of like diversity being used as Disney's <laughs> shield right now because yeah. it's so disingenuous. But like it's terrible. They're, they're, yes. they're like they're trying to say we're doing new, innovative with new folks with new things, but. They're, they're presenting the same story structures. They're presenting mm-hmm. the same base level expectation for animation and plots. Yeah. And ultimately what that does is it it makes it so that that is the status quo. Mm-hmm. That's what fans accept. And when you go against it, or even just question it, like I don't even want to say like go against it, like I didn't like it, but just like, oh, this is a little bit like this. You're, it, it's automatic blasphemy and like you just don't get it you don't understand what everybody else does which Suara feeds right <laughs> into our fans versus critics conversation um now that we're into the topic of our week i am sure it's not only going to divide opinions to our listeners maybe some of us here too probably not though uh today we're diving into fans versus critics this came out of seeing a lot of the responses from ant-man pretty much bombing critically um and when i say seeing some of the responses i know i personally got a few as well as just seeing like giant threads that were made about how that just completely misunderstood what superheroes are. Not going to bring that up. <laughs> and while Ant-Man is the catalyst for this conversation that we're having today, it's it's not the only time that this has happened. Disney properties aren't the only times that it's happened, and it's definitely not going to be the last time that a television series, a film, a video mm-hmm. game, or something 
has made fans completely pissed yeah. I mean, off. We're, we're still dealing so... with the Snyderverse, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it refuses Prime to example. die. Like, I... I don't understand. Come on um, in, James it, Gunn. That, that, I think what blew my mind was James Gunn had what I thought was actually a pretty solid showing for what he wants to do with DC. And then I went on Twitter and still and Amazing still saw Snyder vs. Trash. It's, it, I don't understand. It, it's They're going to be the boomers talking about Nam. Like, or not, yeah, yeah. That's what it's going to be. Not the boomers. What, the generation. They're going to be my yeah. uncle. They're going to be my uncle talking about Nam now that we're like way detached from that. That's Snyderverse. Mm-hmm. They, they see it with the same intensity. Yeah, it's it doesn't it, make any sense to me, but that that is... Let them be the old crazy That uncle. feels like a, like, a prime just, example like, of, yeah, just people not not being content with what a critic had to say and to like a malicious point. Oh yeah. Well, death threats came out from exactly like it was so over the top. Yeah. And, and I think that that leads us to like the first question that I have for us, which is, do you think there is a fan versus critic divide like naturally, or do you think something like uh, the, uh, the, the aggregators like Rotten Tomatoes push this further than what we would expect? So I'm going to answer this question with my principles and what should mm-hmm. be the core of this. Key thing, us critics are fans too. We want to enjoy the films and TV shows that we watch. We critically analyze that them because that is literally our job. And we enjoy dissecting, discussing, getting into the details and nuances of these art forms because we want them to be the best they can be critics by and large come at it from a place of love Mm -hmm. obviously there are some outliers some like you know hate genuine haters or incendiary people who like you know Mm -hmm. just don't you know add much to the conversation but by and large professional critics do this because we love the art form we want to support it we want to uplift that which we think is really good yeah So when it comes to something like Rotten Tomatoes, I happen to be someone who genuinely likes Rotten Tomatoes. I think it's a very useful aggregate of critics and Mm -hmm. fan scores, although I have problems with the fan scores and how those are calculated, particularly when there are review bombs of a racist or sexist manner. I think that's something that does happen, not all the time. But even on the other end, I don't think that this sampling of audiences that Ron Tomatoes takes is necessarily indicative of the general response. I, I much prefer actually cinema score. I think cinema score has a much better system that pulls audiences directly when they come out of the film. And I found that to be like very useful, but I do find the critic aggregate score in Ron Tomatoes useful. Yeah. So I, the job of a critic is not to tell you that you should go in enjoying or not enjoying this film. The critic, you should align with critics that you may generally agree with and want to get their take on it, but you have to make up your own mind. They can give you perhaps an indication, but even then it's your choice of like how you enjoyed this film. I will say, you know, I disagree with Rotten Tomatoes. I happen to love Space Jam A New Legacy. I think certain critics were too harsh on it and weren't really getting what was really great about that film in my opinion as a critic but thing is i can also take 
certain things they critique about the film, such as the overusage of IP, sure, that is a valid critique. The thing is, there's so many more nuances to this conversation of like fans versus critics than like any Twitter or like other online discourse allows for. Like you can learn about the medium. You can learn about film. You learn about TV. There's so many amazing critics I follow one of whom is here with us, Kate, who's an incredible, amazing critic that I've learned so much from and as my editor, my friend, and my colleague. And it's about having that conversation. Like critics are not simply out to get these films or studios or mm-hmm. going against the fans. And like, we're not yeah. fucking paid by Disney, like just, or whatever. It's just, this has just been so frustrating. There's so much more nuance to it. And I would love for it people online to take who are so passionate about these films often to a cultish degree i might add i would love for them to take a chill pill and realize that we're not out to get you well, so and please I think, chill and i think that that's one of the important things like uh, for me like very specifically i think a lot of the fan versus critic divide like it exists because if i review something and then somebody is like well this fan hated it, it's like well i I am a critic like there's a difference in what i'm doing because Mm -hmm. i'm in i am dealing with this media in a different way than just entertainment Mm -hmm. like i'm looking at entertainment value or at least i try really hard to look at entertainment value while also looking at the other pieces like i think demon slayer uh to the swordsmith village is a good example where i was like this is real like it was phenomenal to see the final fight of season two on a giant screen and to hear the Biwa um, score for the first episode of season three in theater surround sound, but, and the entertainment's there, but also like, am I going to tell somebody to go pay 14 bucks for a ticket on like stuff that they can watch yeah. at home? <laughs> like, and, and I think that a lot of that, like what people miss is that like, I am a fan of Demon Slayer. I love it. I got my boy Uzui on this shelf twice. Like, I, I I love that series, and I am a fan. But when I am engaging with media, I am doing the job of a critic to think about it in a way that will help inform somebody's perspective that may not have seen this or may not have the money to go out to the movie theater or may have the money to go watch one movie, but they don't know what to pick. And I think that when you kind of deconstruct that, a lot of the comments I get or I got from Ant-Man was, oh, well, you know, but I'm a fan of the spectacle and I'm a fan of the comics and I've been wanting to see this adapted. And I just responded, like, I have also been reading comics since I was a baby. Like, since I was a wee Kate, I was reading comics. So don't make the assumption that I'm going in there wanting to not like this thing. Like, I am exhausted by the MCU and I'm pretty, like, I, I, I explain that and we've talked about it on this podcast, but I don't want to be like, I like, I don't think people understand the amount of how exhausting it is to write a negative review. Like it is much easier to write a review that you like. And so if I could exit everything liking it, I would love it, man. But I think like the larger question about like Rotten Tomatoes is I think that like, if I just give my review to somebody and they read it, there's an easier way for them to be like a one-to-one. Okay, you disagree with me. I like it. You don't. And we can talk about it. Versus I feel like when you add on something like a rotten or a fresh, it's official. It's certified. And so then all of a sudden, all these parasocial (laughs) relationships that you've built with the media that you're watching has made you think, oh, well, I'm wrong. Everybody else is right and I'm wrong. 
And I, that helps facilitate a lot of this stuff. I Definitely. Think. Yeah. I think it's, it's also something that, I mean, like we talked about, like critics are also fans. Every, like I've seen reviews where it's like, this is not the person you should have sent to review this movie. Like that, oh, that yeah. happens a, a lot. Go totally. look at, go look at John Wick chapter threes, like Rodden's. And it is literally like this old lady being like, there was too much violence. And it's, it's like, man, there were two other ones you telling you what was going to happen. Yeah. Like we yeah. are here to watch Keanu Reeves shoot people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like that that happens for sure but ultimately like video games movies music it's like do you think that that video game critic wanted that game to suck do you think that they wanted to write a negative review after they spent 20 hours playing it absolutely not like though it hurts to write those reviews it's not a fun time um i think aggregators sort of do push the divide a little bit in that like you said it turns it into like an accusation or a praise like it's slapping something on there I yeah. think the other thing is, and maybe this is a little bit too conspiratorial and a stretch, it almost feels like part of that, <laughs> like, you know, we're obviously in an age of anti-intellectualism in a lot of regards, and critics and fans are not watching movies with the same eye necessarily. Like, I mean, yeah. I have a lot of smart friends who, like, they will watch movies critically or just to enjoy them, but, like, there have definitely been times where we'll be watching it and, like, one of us is, like, is it just me or is the cinematography a little bit sloppy? And it's like, I was not keyed into that at all because I'm just, I'm not watching it with that brain right now. Um, or like then, you know, 20 minutes later, I'm like, wow, that was a really like fumbly bad line. And I can't believe that that's the take they used. And like, they should have rewritten that. And my friend's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's, you know, not, if you're not watching a movie critically, you might not agree with a critic. Um, and similarly, there is yeah. such a thing as a, as sure. an enjoyable movie. That's not a good movie. And there's such a thing as a well-made movie that's not an enjoyable movie. Like, it's, you know, I mean, like American History X, phenomenal movie. Do I have a good time watching it? No. no. Um, and then on the flip side of that, like, I, you know, like, you have, like, people who really love Street Fighter 2. And it's like, I'm glad you have fun with that. It is objectively not a great piece, <laughs> not a great film, not a great piece of work. Yeah. Well, and I think that, like, that's, like, that larger You can piece enjoy too, fun, is... bad movies. Sorry. Oh, yeah, okay. you can. Well, no, I think, like, I, I yeah, like, I think that there is, like, and I think that that's what, we, what we're missing, right? Like, we're missing all the nuance that goes into, like, a thoughtfully written review. I didn't write 1,600 words on Blonde because I wanted to. Yeah. Like, I wrote 1,600 words on Blonde because that was a tough film to unpack because there was so much I viscerally hated about it. But there were some things that were beautifully done mm -hmm. and the acting was good. And like how do like when you go into a review, a lot of the times you're watching a critic unpack the process mm -hmm. and figure out the pieces of it that resonate, the pieces of it that don't. And ultimately, like kind of be forced to put it into a mold. And I think that lack of nuance of just because I, I do I do want to say like Swar, I do agree aggregators serve a purpose oh, yeah. especially in a time of inflation where you have to just decide if you're going to go to the theater decide if you're going to pick up a game like a game having a 30 out of 100 on metacritic doesn't really matter that much if it's on game pass but if it's not on game pass you just save me like 70 dollars. and i think that like using it to inform is important but i also think that what Rotten Tomatoes does with the snippets, mm -hmm. with, with the little snippets, um, and then what Twitter does with only giving you, like, the 280 characters and other social media does because it's all consumed everything down into small bites 
is you lose the long form thoughtfulness that actually gets put into a review a review because like, i think a lot about how like i got Very told true. that i should stop being a critic because i didn't like licorice pizza and i didn't understand film and i'm like did you read my review like i i told you why mm-hmm. I, I, I mapped out why it made me uncomfortable, and I didn't say it was bad because it made me uncomfortable. I said it was bad because of how it investigated these things and had no payoff. There's a difference. And what happens is once a fresh, a rotten, a you liked it, you don't like it gets tacked on, at the thousand words I just wrote explaining myself get thrown out oh, yeah. the window. And I think that that's like... That's like the crux of the issue. It's Headlines like, betray the conversation. Right? Because it, yeah. it has somebody cutting you off at the first sentence and being like, let me tell you why you're an idiot. Um, and you're just like, no, yeah. no, no, like read it. I mean, like you said, you're like, I watched it. I understood it. I have an argument for why I think it's bad. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, maybe more people just need to take high school debate. I don't know. Well, and and it's also like it's hard too, right? Because like I feel like lockdown kind of exacerbated a lot of this because mm-hmm. we were all constantly looking at our phones, we were all constantly using digital means of communications, and I think it accelerated a lot of the. I mean, nuance was already it's like, kind of dead. It was yeah. pretty much dead at the time, but like this was just like repeatedly keep kicking nuances corpse because everything kept getting put into smaller mm-hmm. and smaller bites. I mean, the rise of TikTok and everybody copying it like you're trying to condense video essays into a minute right and i think you end up in this situation because this is all being we're all being pushed to receive information that way i think some critics do fan the flames of understanding what a snappy one-liner is to do or some editors understand, okay, if I'm going to go put this on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm going to pick the inflammatory line and not not any of the stuff around it. Or headline, and, yeah. Or headline. And that and, and it's because we've all been pushed into an algorithm that feeds off of extreme emotions. You either love it or you hate it and you can't be in the middle. Like mid isn't yeah. mid anymore. Like mid literally just means you have no yeah. feelings. It was it was fine. Well, and I mean, the, like, the whole idea of like you either love it or hate it, like Netflix famously took away the option to say that something was just okay. Like they had a rating system and then they were like, mm-hmm. no, yeah. thumbs up, thumbs down, yeah. nothing else. And I like I honestly I think more or less stopped rating. Although things. actually in actually actually in fairness to Netflix, I've noticed on mine, they have dislike it like it and love okay, it okay so they've changed so it i guess they, no! do have, they changed I didn't it have, yeah, okay for that a long time yeah. it was yeah. thumbs up thumbs yeah. down and there were so many movies that i was like i don't know it was neither of these like i guess if i had they get the sideways <laughs> yeah it's like if i had yes. to say would i watch Red, this yeah. again sure or no but like that shouldn't be how i'm deciding if if i thumbs up or thumbs down it i should be able to say like oh, yeah it right. was a pretty good time yeah, the th- problem with the binary and exactly what y'all are saying with the snippets, with the uh, one-liners, it takes out that extreme depth of nuance we write in our articles or doing our video reviews of having these conversations of the various aspects of the film that are important to us. And especially, I'm going to like go on this like uh, rabbit hole right now, but in terms of having like more diverse critics and listening to people black and brown lgbtqia uh women uh gender non-conforming trans etc like 
critics who are outside of like the norm of what like the critic community has so often looked like in its majority understanding these different nuances and perspectives informed by our various experiences and maybe think more critically about how a film has handled something cultural or regarding people of color or the queer community etc and how you know we don't just write these make these reviews for audiences we make them for it's like a conversation with the filmmakers and studios as well of saying like, please do something different. And like, sometimes we'll be like, Oh, I don't know if Marvel or Disney or Warner brothers is listening, but like, please do this differently next time. And I've often observed, I really feel like they receive that sometimes. I think it really does matter in the long run. And it's like, but it's that it's like, you know, other aspects of the storytelling it's, um, you know, maybe, you know, small things like the cinematography, I really hope more critic, you know, I, I will say like in sort of referencing uh, what previous episode of the podcast, like y'all had with Nisha and Jason talking about the little mermaid cinematography and how it was maybe differing from other Disney live actions, but still looks a little, little garish. It's like, okay, maybe Disney was listening and trying to overcorrect almost, but maybe they went a little too far. So it's like, there's so much value to us writing these reviews on a whole number that goes beyond that simple binary of it's all good or it's all bad. And it's just like, so, there's so much more in it. So this is a hyperbolic statement, but I have heard multiple directors be like, I remember when somebody said I couldn't make a movie. And so I got petty and tried to make a critically acclaimed movie afterwards so that I could <laughs> stick it to that person when they came to interview me next. Like, I, I've heard directors say that, and like and that's obviously like a hyperbolic example, but it is still a, when you are taking in work, mm -hmm. because this is work, it is art, but it is still work that people are producing to take your money for you to consume. Yeah. That is a one-to-one -one relationship. Something is being given, I am receiving, you're gonna get my feedback, and you should make it better. And I think to your point, Suara, when it comes to having more diverse critics in the room, I think it's also really important when you have diverse stories because at the end of the day, we're not a monolith. Like there were Latinas who loved West Side Story, hated it, hated it. I, I hated that I watched it in a room full of white folks. But the thing is, is when you open that door for all of us to talk, you get to see the bevy of opinions that are actually there. And I think that like what fans miss is that I think they see like one critic and they're like, oh, that's the critic consensus. It's like, no, honey, go read the other sites. Like go scroll through and read what other people are saying or actually read past the Rotten Tomatoes pull quote. Like, um, which I think leads me to my next question, which is like, do you think critic critics learn and, and critics learn anything from fans? And I'm using fans here to just generally talk about folks who aren't like a, like critics as a job. Like we've already established critics are fans in their own ways, but like critics versus non-critics. Like, do you think that there is stuff that we can learn from the types of feedback that we're getting? Like when we disagree with people or when we do see, like, I don't know if any of you do this, but if you review something or you didn't like something, do you go and read like the other opinions on it? Like I read so many licorice pizza <laughs> reviews. Cause I was like, what did they see? Like what, what did they see that I didn't? But how, how are you all with that? Yeah, I mean, I do the same thing when I, when something doesn't click with me, um, or when it does click with me and I know that that's not the popular opinion, I do try to seek out other 
reviews just to see where I'm like, what, like, what did I not see that you saw? Like that to me is important to, to understand so that I can at least say, I understand why people liked it, but I, that doesn't mean that it's for me now. Um, I, I think that whether or not someone learns is going to be highly dependent on the critic and also highly dependent on what fan base they upset. Um, I think, I mean, to go back to earlier, the Snyderverse fans, you're not probably going to learn a lot there because what you're going to hear is that you're an, you're an idiot um, and you should kill yourself and bring back, you know, Martian Manhunter and give him a full movie or whatever. And it's like, that's not a conversation. But if someone's like, oh, you know, I didn't really like, I don't know, like this story arc from Endgame. And someone's like, well, here's why that story arc to me was really important and why it connected with me. It's like that person, that critic can look at that and be like, oh, cool. Like that was like actually a thoughtful, you know, here's why that mattered. And I'll consider that in the future. Sure. Like it's it's really about the... But, oh, yeah, but yeah, sorry, yeah. Alex, sorry to interrupt, but I, I do appreciate that. But so often some of these fans will take these stories Oh, so I agree. That's why it's, it's all about what and, fan base did well, you yeah. upset? Because like... Well, so, and right. I, yeah, and I also will say, though, like, just to, like, be, like, on the side of, like, some fans, like, I do think that those are the vocal majority, like, those are the vocal oh, minority, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. at least. So I do think it is valuable to say, like, no, like, and, and honestly, like, if somebody is moved that much, even if they are Snyder, like, whatever, like, there's a reason for yeah. that. Like, I am actually intrigued to know, like, what this reasoning is. And 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 the reason I say that is I was just on an anime stream, and the guy that I was streaming with had made the assumption, he made a joke that somebody who liked um, Revolutionary Girl Lieutenant and somebody who liked My Dress Up Darling could never date. They're just, they're always different. I was like, sir, like, why? Because I love both of those things, mm-hmm. and I know that I have a very deep reason for loving my dress of Darlene. And I, I asked him, I was like, why? Like, why do you think that? Because essentially he was holding a negative view of people who like that show, specifically men who like that show. And it's like, okay, but why? Like, yeah. what, and we had like a really good conversation on the on the stream because like, I do think that we can't necessarily write off all fans in the yeah. same way that right. we don't want them to write all of us off as Grace Randolph. And I think that there has to be some equal footing push for people who aren't critics and people who are. And at the end of the day, if something moves you to the point that you are making it your whole ass personality, mm-hmm. it, there may be an interesting reason why. Yeah. Now, obviously, this excludes the ad hominem attacks. This excludes the people who obviously can't be reasoned with. But I do think that there is some ground, even if you may think it's weird that somebody is this moved by mm-hmm. a thing, to, to like see why and maybe that's not a full conversation maybe it's just scrolling through their timeline maybe it's reading like a blog post they wrote on their tumblr but i i I do want to like at least for me want to be careful to be like we can't i don't want to throw the baby out with Mm -hmm. the bathwater for people who aren't critics the same way i don't want to be thrown out with the bathwater it's it's very much that that every every comic is someone's first and it's like you just have to respect yeah. that like things are going to mean things to people. I for me the the recent example of that I've been on a, a deep dive of uh, Ninja Turtles content specifically um, was just like I'm going to watch the old movies and then I was like oh some of the new TV shows are on so then I decided to go and mm-hmm. like lurk on the subreddit for Ninja Turtles and there's some intense divisiveness over like different series different comics of people being like this one got everything wrong about these characters and like here's and you know and because there are more serious like 
media from that franchise but like seeing people get like super heated about like how can you possibly say that that's a good version of that character here's why this character is good and here's what it means to me and here's how i connect to it and it's like huh like even something as as small and focused as like an how a ninja turtle was portrayed for a two season tv show people get worked up about and like it is a thing of like everything matters to someone like and you just have to engage it yeah. And sorry, yeah. so I don't mean for that to come off like pretty uh, forceful or anything, Suara. Like I just, I right. did kind of. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's just like, I, I absolutely want to respect how any of these stories, even that I dislike resonate with people. I have just seen this is probably because I've been on Twitter <laughs> too much to be quite fair. That's um, fair. But, yeah. I've just like seen so many examples of, certain fans taking some of these stories or the criticisms mm-hmm. of these stories like so personally and rather getting to the point of like you know sort of those not just those ad hominem in the same vein as those ad hominem attacks like subtweeting and like yeah. saying sort of insulting the intelligence of people who yeah. dislike a thing that they mm-hmm. liked and i just can't i can't help but observe that and be like hmm if like this really gets under your skin, is your love of the thing really that secure? Yeah. Like if it gets yeah. to that point, yeah. like yeah. there's so, there's so many things like I love that other people don't like, I have one of my favorite shows of all time is Star Trek discovery. And I have other Star Trek friends like uh, who don't like it as much as I do, who often we discuss it all the time. They often poke holes in it. They often say they don't like how some of the storylines are written, how characters are written, et cetera, et cetera. And I accept all their criticisms but I've not let that affect my love of the show mm-hmm. at all. Same vein as Space Jam and New Legacy. I don't yeah. understand, like, I don't need you to agree with me yeah. to for me to love something. Well, and that's I what frustrates me so much. That right there is the key. And I think that that's what a lot of social media has eroded, and I think Twitter especially, is that it's allowed us to craft online personas that are wrapped around fandoms in a way. Like, I was really deep in Star Wars Twitter at one time. That's how I met Suara. I don't engage with Star Wars content at all. Like, I haven't... I'm not caught up on The Mandalorian because folks said that Yodito was genocidal and that <laughs> Favreau hated women because he ate an egg. And I was like, but I think it was just a gag because children put everything in their right. mouths. And and there are things where it's kind of like... It gets hard, but what what what, what a of people like being forced to interact with people that you usually wouldn't see because of retweets and likes and whatever mm-hmm. i think what happens is everything feels like an attack mm-hmm. like yeah. you have made something your entire personality so a slight disagreement or even a question like not even a disagreement just a mm-hmm. question feels like you're being attacked in some way and i actually think that like that is true for critics as much as fans because there is a like it's just the it's what the death of nuance has really yeah. bred mm-hmm. into how we interact with humans. And I think that it's a shame because I think you're right, Swara. Like if you if you cannot have somebody say a negative thing about something you loved, did you really love yeah. it? Like are is it that fragile that it can't be questioned? Because exactly. guess what? One of your girls' favorite movies is Batman and Robin. Give me Batman bat oh, nipples yeah. all day. Like, oh, I have a give them to, to me. You, I love it. It's fun. It's <laughs> it's campy. And I will defend that Poison Ivy, Uma Thurman, and George Clooney Batman for days. Yeah. And you know what? My husband shits on it. 
every chance he gets. I'll just be walking around. He's like, yeah, but you love Batman and Robin. I'm like, man, leave, leave it alone. Leave them alone. Batman and Robin is a masterpiece. <laughs> it's an institution. I'm going on the record here. Um... But and and I think of stuff like that, and I and there are things that mean a lot to me. Like I got in, I met somebody at the Demon Slayer premiere that I went to, and I was like, "No, I love my hero," and I don't think that it's repetitive shonen. I don't think that it's trying to get you to like abusers. I don't think it's doing any of that because I read Horikoshi this way, and it was, and I've had fruitful conversations. Well, it's like, well, well, this is how I. It wasn't a well actually. It was a okay and I. Mm. And I think that that is the issue when we communicate on stuff. We've gone to, well, actually, it's this way. When it's like, well, no, it's and I think about yeah. it this way. And I think if we reshape some of those things, we can learn more from each other because the core of the question, like, I do think that critics can learn from people that don't agree mm-hmm. with them. I also think 100%. that they can learn from people who agree with them for different reasons. And I think that you have more fruitful conversations and more fruitful engagement. And you don't end up with – Disney's taking a lot of blows. They always do As on this podcast. Should. But, like, you, you, don't, you don't end up with the machine making constant formulaic yeah. content when you can engage with it and push it to be something different. Yeah. Well, and you might, and get, you might get more I th- different things in your media when you are willing to engage that. Like, when you're willing to let them be yes. different things. Yes. Mm-hmm. more different things please mm-hmm. but on that but on that disney note kate so you're saying we're not paid by disney no aren't paid by disney to review <laughs> mcu films yeah. well oh and that is like the next question right so like when critics hate things we're not fans and we obviously are antis yeah. and critics have had it out for superhero films mm-hmm. for forever but then if we do like something it's like well disney paid your bills or like in games this happens so much in games i said that game pass was good because it was an equitable option to access an expensive hobby and that impacts black and brown communities harder because we are poorer it's literal facts and people like commented like on pictures of me and my dog being like xbox paid for that vacation and it was it was crazy like it was crazy and that wasn't even a review all of that is to say we're not paid by people we're not like we are like believe me i wish disney gave me money to take some of the abuse y'all give me like that would make it better it doesn't um but like from that like for y'all like how do you think critics, and I don't want to use the word win, but how do we find a position where, like, the yelling stops? Because it doesn't seem like anyone can make a review of anything without getting some type of vitriol. Well, I think the the thing is that we need to bring back nuance, which is going to be, you know, a Herculean task. But also, we need to get to a place where people are willing to read a review without first reading a resume, if that makes sense. Like, I should not have to go through somebody's credentials as to why they're qualified to review this movie or this album, you know, where it's like, no, this is just someone who is a, who is a critic who is offering their opinion. Like, you know, and obviously there are like we talked about earlier, there are times where someone was clearly the wrong person to review it. That happens. But like, I don't need someone to be like, I've seen all of the Marvel movies three times and I've, you know, watched Loki at half speed to see if there was anything that I met. Like, I don't need that. And we need to get people in a place where like, yeah. they're okay with just like reading review. And that person it's, um, I've talked with Matt about this, the, the Twitter preemptiveness 
where you like try to like anticipate every argument like writers need to not have to do that and i feel like with the way that people pounce on negative reviews of like you're not a real fan or you got paid for this and it's like no like i shouldn't have to anticipate that that's how you're gonna feel about this i should be able to just review it we've done that on that podcast here like we've couched it in i love this i still like disney and i still like yeah you're right like that you're not wrong like it's, that's just kind of it's how, another layer like, of exhausting our too. brains have been like wired. that yeah you should yeah. you shouldn't have to make those qualifiers it should just be i think or i didn't think this story set out what it's yeah. set to do just well, like that and i i think um we we over at but why though we uh one of our games writers aaron um he reviewed high on life and he didn't like it he gave it a three out of ten he was by far one of the lowest school scores for the game and uh people jumped on him they were absolutely pissed like and wrecked and like the only and, and this is what sucks because like he he even made like the statement in there i like Royland's work traditionally i enjoy his style of comedy and his voice acting traditionally and then the first things that got said was like oh well you just went in already hating this no. and it's like okay so even when you like couch your criticism in the fact that you usually like a thing you will yeah. still get that you know what i'm also because people don't what, care what, the way that we win is is we destroy social media because what i'm realizing is previously <laughs> reviews were not a two-way conversation like you would, you would open up no, the newspaper and you wrong. would read a review of a movie, and if it really pissed you off, you might write a letter and walk down to the to the post office and send it. But like, you didn't hop on your phone to just be like, "I hate you, you're an idiot," like, and then and then so, go back to what so, you were doing. So, 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 so on that note, I just watched this today. Y'all need to watch uh, on the Daily Show Hassan Minhaj uh, his takedown of Twitter. It mm-hmm. is actually really amazing. I but thank you. I'll I'll have to check that out. Like I do I like him. So yeah, I'm I sure like that's great. It's, it's very good. He he's great. No, but yeah, it's just um, yeah, it, it destroy as we've kept saying. It keeps destroying the nuance. It just like, and it's just like no one should pile on someone for a negative review unless like that writer had and i've seen instances of this before has done something actually problematic in their writing something sexist racist etc but honestly i yeah. found those few, few and far between it's There's somehow just, always at variety <laughs> yeah yeah like, <laughs> um like i but then on the flip side of that of like someone giving a negative review and it happens to be a we've discussed this before happens to be a diverse film like again kate i know you enjoyed it <laughs> but blast eternals ain't thank no you <laughs> thank you i <laughs> they all made eter- millions it's good they made their millions yeah like it's marvel they're okay like the eternals is one of the most diverse films that marvel's ever done which is great which i say like i i can this is a one sense that i can say I appreciate how diverse and inclusive it was. I just wish its story and filmmaking was way better. Mm-hmm. That is fair to say. I'm not out to get Chloe Zhao, not out to get any of 
the diverse cast mm-hmm. or crew of this film, etc. It's yeah. like, I just wish this was better. Well, and then like you have people still being like, oh, well, it got negatively reviewed because it was diverse yeah. because it had people of color. And like that same people were saying, I've seen people say the same thing about the finale of Falcon and Winter Soldier when no, the reason I hated it and so many other people hate it is because it took these black yeah. and other people of color characters and like put them through respectability politics to the nth degree and it was terrible and that's the thing too right like it's the flattening of everything and it's that idea that like okay well if it and and this is i I don't want to say a new phenomenon but i think it is something that has taken off a lot more where it's like we must i'm gonna blame the last jedi because this is when i started seeing it and i was told that i upheld white supremacy by not liking the movie um There is a, like, there has been a history now, like, at least, mm-hmm. for, like, that was the first movie that I experienced in, yeah. where diversity becomes a shield for sh- for any sort of criticism. And that's a problem. And that's a problem, not necessarily, like, one, like, we should, like, people of color, marginalized groups should be able to be mediocre <laughs> and fail at things and then come back and make a new movie and be fine. And then also, if there is something like the respectability politics in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm uh, when people are listening to this, it will be almost South by, and I'm reviewing a documentary for there, where they're talking about abortions, and they bring up Texas, and it's a good film, but it misses so many marks hmm. that me, uh, a Mexican Texan at the at the Hana who like is dealing with stuff like yo, you didn't talk to any brown people. (laughs) Like, you can still be something from a marginalized group doing something good or trying to make art and have it. Like, sometimes it can be bad or sometimes it can miss a couple of marks and you don't have to act like nothing can fail. And I think that that's kind of like a different conversation in that I think that it, it, it builds the same fans versus critic divide where we all just kind of get thrown into the racist bin if you don't mm. like the thing that was made. Like, that happened with West Side Story. I'm like, dude, a white man made it. Like, yeah. well, why are, so why are you writing absurd. for this? Um, yeah. But I, I, like, I feel like that's a different conversation, but it's a little bit of the same in that, like, you should be able to have a conversation without automatically jumping on your trampoline all the way up to the worst of humanity. You shouldn't have, like, we just need to ditch bad faith arguments. Also, Twitter is, like, a limited character space. Sometimes you're reading something that somebody said and they didn't mean it that way. So just ask a clarifying question. Yeah, instead of that, oh, so you're saying, and then I'm going to shove some words in your mouth. And, yeah, it's just, it's rough. It's I've never at any point found Twitter necessarily good for conversing. (laughs) Like, it's... It's a lot of, of back yeah. and forth, very shortened takes, very, you know, um, just very truncated and not not that great. Also, I want to circle back something that you said, I think, an adjacent conversation to this. Um, and it kind of it's almost like a like a little trifecta is like there's the death of nuance. Um, what you said earlier, there's um, the the hunt for hidden meaning where you get things like Grogu is a genocider, like where it's like, man, you're really reading into this. Um and then there's, you know, using like both of those things then intersecting with, well, if you didn't like this, you're sexist. If you didn't like this, you're racist. And it's like, or I just didn't like it. And that was not a factor here. Like, yeah. it's like those three things in conversations around media collide way too often. And when any two of them touch, it just it it makes nothing but bad faith arguments and, you know, vitriolic conversations. I 
me whenever we go into discourse cycles for big films because that's all that happens yeah it's just constant clashing constantly which like and i do want to say too like not like i i think that we have to engage with things critically and i think critic critics are essential in one being a beacon for people to listen to to under like a lot of critics have training in some in, in media literacy yeah. which <laughs> that's also dead um but also like we have a very unique position where we can impact film scores which then impact whether something gets greenlit again and if studios are reading our work they maybe won't use like a racist character of somebody like they won't you, yeah. know, you know what i mean it's kind of like oh well you should just accept yeah. this because it's diverse it's like well no you did it you didn't yeah. do it well, well. There, there was just that Here's article about it um, better i think it was donnie yen talking about how many times he's had to like call out scripts for like hey you gave me a sort of generic racist name yeah and, like, and that was as recently as like i think john wick four he said like originally his character's name was chang and he wore a mandarin collar and he was like, hey, could we not do this? And they were like, yeah, you're right. And yeah, I think totally. that's the other thing, too, is like, we are now in a one of the most connect. We are the most connected people. Our film sets are extremely international. They're extremely, like, different. And I, like, there are still things that you can mess up if you are also of a marginalized group. Like, Keanu Reeves is Asian. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, somebody writing that script was just like, so then there's this other Asian assassin and his name is Chang. <laughs> And it's like that's bad. Like that's like, that feels bad. Yeah. You should know that's bad. Yeah, and we have to push yeah. people to be better. And it, it's on totally. actors, yes. But if we don't say, "Hey, we're not going to buy this thing that is bad," the actor can only do so much. They still got to get paid. Yeah. There's um. If yeah, you if exactly. you want to see interesting videos on this, do you guys know um Sharon J Zhao? Yeah. Mm, yes. Did oh, you yeah, watch her, uh, their Mulan yeah. videos? So I when, love their, their yeah when the fantastic. when the Mulan yeah. live action came out they did a whole video just breaking down everything from a like Chinese cultural perspective where it's like so here's what the movie misunderstands about key and like this is a really cool thing that they included and like that's really like that's historic that's accurate and like this isn't accurate what the hell happened here uh, and it's like twenty minutes just breaking down like what was right and wrong on it and I think that's the kind of thing where like to expand this conversation more where filmmakers can learn from fans and critics of like, here's what you did right and wrong. I think they also did one for the avatar cartoon. Uh, they did the Mulan cartoon as well. And I think they, they may have done a few others, but yeah, it's just a really interesting, like, yeah, like, they've done a um, lot. Yeah. And now they, and now they have their own. Novel oh yeah. I read that. It was great. Iron widow, which I have a copy of. Yeah. I still need to read. I have so much I need to read. Um, sort of like, sorry to throw back to like, I feel as though, or something else we need to consider is that critics can, there can be criticism of certain critics' work as well. Yeah. In, from a genuine standpoint, I'm not going to name this specific example that happened a few months ago, but there was a very distant, in my opinion, and many others, so hopefully more people have seen this at such, there's a very disingenuous review of a certain really fantastic film on Netflix, which I recommend you all watch. I'll just say the name of the film. The name is The Swimmers. I think it's an excellent film. There was one review of it written by a certain critic. I'm not going to name them, but once the criticisms they were making of the film didn't even really need to have to do with the filmmaking itself or necessarily of the story or anything else, but it was too 
further their own specific agenda. And it is not without getting into details. It is an agenda. The creators of the film would extremely understandably not delve into. So I think that's something important to remember as well, that occasionally there can be legitimate criticisms of critics and how they write or make these uh, articles sometimes. But yeah, that's just, sorry, something I just want to throw yeah. out there. No, well. I think I think you're right. And I think that, that, that that's where the nuance comes in. That's where, that's where reading yeah. past the headline comes in. Because yeah. I remember that review and it was a lot of white people thinking that they were doing the right socially, yep. social justice it was thing so by annoying. backing this review. And like we, as people, not as critics mm-hmm. or as fans, but as people should read what we're going to repost and think about it in a way that isn't just, oh, this is the word. Yeah. God. It's, I mean, one of the, one of Engage the, with it. Look one of the, other things. I would say best things Twitter has done was when they made it where when you retweeted an article, it was like, Hey, did you read this? Like, it was like, it was yes. such a small change they made, but I was like, man, that's really good. Yeah. And, and I think that like, I, I think you're right. And I think that all of this, like I, to sum it all up as we kind of exit here is I think the way, not that we win, but that we just start to understand each other, just talk mm-hmm. more, like actually communicate like humans. If you don't like my review, ask me why, or mm-hmm. read my review and say, hey, you mentioned this. Can you like explain to me a little bit more? Because like, like there's always going to be more to say. Like, and I think like if, if, if you are taking the time out of your day to tweet at me things, at least let it be a conversation. Yeah. At, le- at least actually engage with what you're doing because I promise you, I will just mute you and move on. I do not care. Like yeah. <laughs> you can come to me. And, and I think that that's a lot of, a lot of people's policy when they produce work because we're producing work as critics. So engage with us, talk to us. And I think that the, that the important takeaway for me here is if you're listening to this, I am not saying you can't disagree with critics. Um, none of us are saying that. I think what we're all saying is it just needs to be a communication and understand that we're not out to like personally yeah. attack. And also that like, like you you can I'm agree to disagree. Gonna... That's the big thing. Yeah. That's Respect. Also fine. That's the... It's just being respectful, exactly. please. Also, I promise none of us are gonna like march into your house and rip down your Ant Man posters. You can keep them. I'm not mm-hmm. coming for them. It's fine. Kate and I love the first two Ant-Man films. We just happen to not like the third one. You can exactly. watch our review about it. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, um, so to exit, do you all have any very quick last minute thoughts to say on critics versus fans? Just enjoy things. Like, and don't, <laughs> don't let someone else's non-enjoyment ruin your enjoyment for you. Yeah. Yeah, I echo that. And I just encourage you all to read a diversity of, you know, critics back of critics of different backgrounds, but also of different thoughts and perspectives, mm-hmm. you know, and of different site size. Yeah. Get your indie critics Absolutely. in, get your trades in, get everything in. Read, but why the reviews first and <laughs> foremost. Yes. Go to, but why And if you want to support indie journalism, head to patreon.com slash, but why though? <laughs> But with that, we're going to head into the promotion part of the podcast where we talk about the things that we've been reading, writing, reviewing, or just want people to check out. Uh, Suara, you start us off. 
Well, I've had the absolute pleasure recently to do a few reviews recently for But Why Though on the YouTube channel with my wonderful friend and colleague here, Kate. We reviewed both uh, Quantumania, as we mentioned, and also Creed 3. Uh, first, we did not enjoy as much as we'd like to, but the second one we did enjoy much more. And I also, for the website, reviewed the cinematic masterpiece, <laughs> the best picture just give it all the oscars give it all the awards this is one of the greatest films of all time yes it is cocaine bear (laughs) i love this film so much it is you know it's elizabeth banks director elizabeth banks is like magnum opus it's just magnificent watch a bear in the wild get high on cocaine and kill and maim people it is bravissima and don't look for a hidden deeper meaning go, go just watch it. <laughs> but that's the there thing, is a hidden, hidden deeper, deeper meaning. meaning <laughs> I, now I need to see y'all, it. Y'all should, y'all, y'all should watch a movie and read my review. I, now I need to it. see if that sells it. <laughs> yeah, I okay. So I haven't really been reviewing anything lately. It's been a minute. Um, as far as like, I'll try to do like a watching, reading, you know, things to recommend. Um, for watching, Megan is finally on Peacock. If you haven't seen it yet. That was my watch. Um, that that was. But uh, there's also on Peacock is Megan Unrated, which I have not watched yet. Um, but I've heard it's just like it's the gory R-rated cut, basically, that they were told they couldn't do. Um, so I'm excited to see that and to see how that helps out. Um, for reading, I have been on a big kick of uh, Usagi Yojimbo by Stan Sakai, which is like it's been going for 30 years under a single author and it's all connected. So if you just want like a lot of comics to sink into, that's a a pretty solid recommendation. Um, And then I've also been reading through the sailor moon eternal editions and that's been really great. Um, And also uh, I'm going to plug the Shonen jump app because my wife and I use that constantly. It's as it's a steal of a subscription and there's so much on there. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Kate, do you have anything on there that you're reading that you recommend highly? Uh, I need everybody to go read uh, Hell's Paradise Jigokuraku. It's getting an anime April 1st Ooh, okay. from uh, MAPPA. Like, MAPPA is doing it. It is horror action of Suicide Squad-esque uh, in in theme. Um, and then if you want something that is labeled shonen but might as well be a shoujo romance. Oh, uh, I love Blue Box. Box. It's so good. Amazing. Um, yeah, I've been reading that. Kaiju number eight. Um is it uh the like seven deadly sins of the Ichinos family or something like that? Yeah, have yeah. you read that one yet? Okay, it, so it. didn't really. I was about to quit, and then around like issue nine or ten, it hits you with like it t bones you with something that you were not predicting at all, and I immediately was hooked and was like, I will read this until it's over because I have to know what happens. Um, so yeah, That's so awesome. that that would be my other recommendation. But yeah, Shonen Jump app three dollars, absolutely great, and just so much manga. Um, I only have one thing, uh, and that is Wolong. Wolong Fallen Dynasty was this baby's first Souls game that she completed, um, and I understand the hype. I understand the hype around dying repeatedly now, and Wolong gave me that. I died six, <laughs> 63 times since I started counting for the first boss. The first, I, I literally spent five days trying to beat one boss that people were beating in the demo that were super easy um but the cool thing that i learned with Wolong was that there were while you can't adjust difficulties there are a lot of tools that you're given in the game 
to help you raise your level or raise your health to make the battle easier. And then once you master that battle, you can pretty much take care of like anybody else. Like every other level took me like maybe, maybe two hours to go through. So like, I, I really recommend it. I gave it a nine out of 10. It has an amazing character creation system. Um, it's uh, with Chinese mythology, which we haven't seen in a Souls yeah, game. That, I mean, that yet. makes me interested. And yeah, it, and, it, and it, from what I hear, it is really well done as well. Um, my only issue is the voice acting is a little off and the story is just kind of formulaic okay. in a way, but you know. Um, but the actual like representations of mytholo- uh, mythological creatures and gods and everything like that is actually really, yeah, that sounds really awesome. Cool. So I highly recommend it. It is free on Game Pass. That's that. That's why I'm going to go so download it when we're off. Even, of this call. yeah, like even if you don't like Souls games, I think this is one for you to check out and give a try because it costs just zero bucks if you mm-hmm. got an Xbox. So um, yeah, with that that is our show thank you everybody for listening in if you liked what we're doing please don't forget to like subscribe leave us reviews on apple all of that good stuff and of course if you want to support our site head over to patreon.com slash but why though and follow us on all of our social medias at but why though pc Swara, where can people on the internet find you Y'all can find me on Twitter at Spider Swars. I'm on Instagram at Swarzy underscore eight. I'm a freelance writer for But Why Though, The New Arab, io9, and other websites. And I am a co-host of the Middle Geeks podcast on the Nerds of Color podcast network. We are two uh, fans of Southwest Asian slash North African or Swanas, or as you may know it, Mina Media. And we we discuss that media and we give our takes on it. So please check us out there. Alex. Yeah, so I uh, at, technically I'm an assignment editor at Friday.com, but that's been I've been a little bit backburnering with that, and then um, that's kind of it because yeah, Game Boys Game Boys uh, ended, so I am like in a retirement phase on the internet, and it feels really good if I'm being honest. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Most Always Alex, where I'm also semi-retired, and like I'll pop in every now and then, but it's not that often. Like I'm on it constantly, but I'm not generating <laughs> content. I need to get back to that. I've been I've been trying to figure out like what outlet do I need because. I realize I'm not, I, I'm still consuming like new stuff, but I'm also just really enjoying going into back catalogs. And I feel like I don't know where yeah. the, where's the news outlet for like my review of a 20 year old Sega game, you know, that nobody's heard of. Like <laughs> that, that's where I'm struggling, but I'll, I'll figure it out. And then I'll, then I'll be back on the internet in full force. I, I feel like we, we podcasted with a ghost. Today. A little bit, yeah. Um, I just I I'm realizing like oh I've been like really like leaning into this retired from the internet life and it's been it's been good. And I am your host Kate. You can find me at omamathrandier on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find all of my writing on butwhythough.net. Um, make sure you check out our Twitch, our YouTube channel. Like Suara said, we got a whole bunch of review videos going up. There will be more. And you can check out the But Why Though Discord if you want to keep the conversation going. Discord.gg slash B-U-T-W-H-Y-T-H-O. That's it for this week. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.